1: Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Uh, to say that we are excited today is a massive understatement, isn't it Alina?
3: Oh, I'm just beyond excited to start talking about this. It is um, a, a secret fantasy of mine, We're well, not so secret anymore.
1: Uh- <laughs> it's like your secret obsession with uh, ancient history that's not exactly. secret at all
3: exactly exactly but we've got with us polina ignatova she's a medieval historian and associate lecturer at lancaster university and she specializes in something that we're just we're we're bouncing off the walls for this are you guys ready for what we're going to be talking about today we are talking about the walking dead
1: boom but not the tv program because we suspect it might really irritate polina but she is an expert on the undead in the medieval period. So we're doing medieval zombies. Paulina, welcome. Uh, hello. It's <laughs> so, so much. When we saw what your speciality was, Alina was like, sounds kind of complicated. What does that mean? I was like, I think it's zombies. I think it's zombies. And she was like, oh, my God. And now you're here. So we're very, very excited because we are essentially massive children, aren't we? We are massive children. and Loving this. I can't wait. um Should we just start? Let's start. Yes. I'm so excited. Do it, do it, go. Okay, so ignoring popular culture and stuff because we're talking about historical. Historically, what is a zombie? Uh,
2: so, technically, well, I don't call them zombies mm-hmm. in my work because the word zombie originates from West Africa. And uh, every time, so I prefer to use zombies in informal conversation because it's just one word and it's really easy and it summarizes. But in the official research events, there always be someone who would be like, Excuse me, but the word zombie originates from West Africa and you're not talking about Africa. So within the European context, it will be walking dead. And mm-hmm. these are the dead bodies which for some reason, made to rise from the graves and to participate in some activities or to do something. And basically, they are pretty much the same as zombies in modern movies. So the principle is that some uh, supernatural power makes these dead bodies move again and act as if they're alive, but they're clearly not alive.
3: So where does the idea of zombies actually come from? You've mentioned West Africa.
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, So this is for the word zombie and probably the idea of zombies in modern uh, culture to a certain extent. Uh, The zombies in medieval history, walking dead in medieval British sources, come from Roman uh, texts which you write into the medieval period because I tried to trace it Back and Roman sources such as Plutus, Goldenas, or Lucan's Pharsalia are the sources, are the examples of sources which contain stories about walking dead. And in Roman sources, the walking dead are usually um, brought back by magicians who use their powers to reanimate this dead body. This idea was. Uh, transmitted into medieval texts and obviously in the medieval context it was changed to fit into the Christian agenda so in medieval texts we have not sorcerers but saints using their power to reanimate the dead usually they reanimate the sinners so they turn the sinners into walking dead as a form of punishment for what they have done
1: so, looking at then, so there's clearly a different uh, differentiation, isn't it, between uh, the modern zombie that we see on the television and where that's come from, and the zombies that you deal with in medieval literature? Uh, how do
2: they differ? Mm, so, if we talk about more than zombies. So, in in a few modern movies. Uh, we have uh, scientific explanations for the existence of zombies or the attempts at scientific explanations for the existence of zombies. So usually there is a virus, an infection, which turns people into zombies. And um, I think my favorite, actually my favorite ever zombie film is the first Resident Evil, because first of all, that was the first zombie film I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because... It really like really explains everything very clearly. So they create this like really uh, coherent narrative of whether like of where zombies come from. Um, in medieval sources, the explanation for the existence of walking dead is not scientific in the modern sense. So they usually explain that the restless corpse is a restless corpse because there is also something inside it. But in contrast to modern films, it's not a virus, but it's either the soul of the dead person, which is stuck inside the body. So ideally, in the, medieval, in the medieval worldview, when you die, your soul is supposed to move to hell, to purgatory or to heaven. In case of walking dead, the soul cannot leave the body. So it's stuck inside, it's not happy inside. It wants to proceed anywhere, but just not linger inside this dead corpse. And that's why this walking corpse starts walking around, bothering the living, because it kind of needs to get the attention to the living, to start, uh, like, to ask them to pray for it, so as the soul can go outside when it is forgiven by the God. And alternatively, there is the devil, which finds the dead body, and it kind of uses it as a puppet, or you can have this like mental image, like where, like if it wears it as a costume. So the devil sneaks inside the dead corpse and moves it around to terrify the living. So it is one or the other. But the in the medieval sources, interestingly, still they, uh, they created this connection between walking dead and infection. So in medieval sources, walking dead sometimes are also described to spread infection. But this infection does not turn other people into zombies.
3: You know, I've got to say, the idea of the devil dancing around in a corpse, I think creeps me out far more than a reanimated corpse, you know, without a soul and, you know, all that kind of thing. It's, I'm just really feeling really creeped out right
1: now. To be honest, I think if you saw Eva, you'd scream and run away
3: well i don't know you say this now how do you know i might become some sort of super zombie
1: killer no no we'll get to this later on we'll get to the the zombie plan later on i know in your head you see yourself as like this ninja with face makeup on and stuff and and a gun slung over your back and you'd go full native and that but i suspect there'd be a lot of crying and screaming
3: i have never screamed at anything Well, except for when something's really awesome.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We'll get to this later. We'll get to the zombie apocalypse plans later. But um, where do they come from in the medieval period?
2: So it's usually a eh? So, in. um, Actually, there is a difference between British and European sources, which I find also quite interesting. Mm. So, in British sources, we learn usually from a walk in that story, the. Biography of the person who was turned into a walking bed. So, we're usually told that this person used to be a sinner. And sometimes the narrators are not particularly specific, so they just say that they did something horrible or they were a really nasty person and they probably died excommunicated. In some stories, um, we get lots of context about what these people have done. And there is like no universal scene which leads to uh, which leads you to being a zombie so usually the scenes from all the sources created in medieval England the scenes described there are quite diverse so I used to have a list uh, which I would show at the presentations and the powerpoints like things which will turn you into a zombie and the scenes were quite diverse from being an evil queen and terrorizing your people. I'm talking now about the legendary Anglo Saxon queen Confris, which in real life was quite a nice person, but there is a legend about her being evil, usurping power, killing her little brother, and then turning into a walking dead after her death. Um, There is another scene which is completely different from this one. So there is a story of a guy who was married and then he started to suspect that his wife is cheating on him. So he pretends to leave and then he um, climbs on the ceiling beam and he hides on the ceiling beam in her bedroom. And then he sees her with a lover and he becomes so angry that he falls down from the ceiling beam, injures himself very badly, and dies the following morning. And because he is about to die, his wife says, like, do you want me to call the priest so as you can confess your sins before you die? And this is a really important thing in the Middle Ages, to make sure you confess all your sins and repent them before your death. And because he's still angry with his wife, he goes, like, no, I don't want to be a priest. So he dies and also becomes a walking dead, so you can become a walking corpse uh, for spying over your unfaithful wife, and in Europe, in contrast, um, the situation is completely different. So in European sources, we do not get these life stories of the individuals who become zombies. So usually, we're just told that the devil entered a random corpse at the cemetery, which kind of creates this kind of feeling of being unsafe, that like, no matter what you do, when you die, your corpse can be like can become the toy for the demon to wear it and to terrify the living.
3: How does all of this compare to
2: things now, like the zombie movies we see now? I think this is quite well. This is quite the same because I feel like um, in English sources we get this like really strong connection between. Someone not leading a particularly pious um, life from like from the medieval point of view, from the medieval Christian point of view. And at the same time, uh, in the films about walking that I have watched, um, I, I'm not claiming to have seen all of them because there's like hundreds and hundreds, but the ones like the most famous ones, um, they usually create this connection between Uh, the environmental issues and the walking dead. So usually in the the beginning of the film, you can see these references to climate change, to environmental problems that led to the rise uh, of this, like to the appearance of this infection, which turns people into zombies. Or there is this idea of some secret evil laboratory, which creates and tries to create... A biological weapon, and then this virus escapes, and everyone becomes a zombie. All this idea um, uh, of consumerism, um, and um, just the—if um, uh, you remember Romero's film, uh, when the zombies walk around the shopping mall, mm-hmm. and, uh, they like the protagonists basically say that they're just like us. So. In the modern films, interestingly, they still have this connection between, like, collective guilt and walking dead. In the medieval context, it's more of an individual guilt rather than collective.
1: That's really interesting. So how do they look in medieval texts? Do they look like the kind of, I mean, I posted one on, online today of a zombie clawing its way towards coffee, and they're sort of like rotting bodies. Um, do they look like that in the medieval period?
2: Well, this is interesting because usually they did not um, offer any straightforward descriptions. But if you look through a number of sources, you can kind of put together an idea. So first of all, they didn't agree whether zombies were decomposing or whether they were not decomposing. Um, So in some sources, the walking dead were decomposing as any dead bodies. And that's how they actually spread infection. So because the decomposing corpse is supposed to be buried to prevent um, the spread of infection and they were not buried. They were kind of walking around. The air became polluted and people started to die. Uh, There is also uh, one really creepy story about a walking corpse which had like a, a swarm of flies buzzing around it. And this also hints at the Decomposition. Other sources, on the contrary, described walking dead as not decomposing, mm-hmm. and that was um, again meant to be terrifying for a medieval person because it was against the nature. So the dead corpse ideally should decompose, and they were not. And this this is linked to the medieval idea that if a devil occupies a dead body it doesn't decompose so if a body is not decomposing that means there is a devil inside um, also it's kind of links to the appearance uh, the um, so that um, the way people in the middle ages imagined uh, souls being inside the bodies is different from how we imagine it so after the person died, if their soul was stuck inside, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't the same as they were alive. So if we think about ourselves alive, and if we assume we have souls, it kind of feels like the soul is really, really connected to the body. And sorry, I'm getting metaphysical here, but basically, after death, the soul which got stuck inside the dead body. Mm. became disconnected from it so it was wearing it as a really kind of clumsy uncomfortable costume yeah and the medieval narrators had this idea of a soul like sitting inside the body as if you climb inside a big jar and you sit inside a big jar or a big barrel and the soul after death did not use the body like, for example, if I speak, if I speak now, obviously I use my tongue and I'm using mm. my head, face muscles and articulation. After the death, the soul didn't need this. It could speak by itself. So there is a really great story again about a dead corpse who would speak to the living, but it wouldn't use its mouth or tongue. it would just the soul would speak from inside this body. And the voice also echoed as if it was sitting inside this, like, a big empty barrel.
1: That's really, really creepy. I'm more
3: creeped out than I thought I would be in this podcast.
1: <laughs> you thought you'd seen it all on TV, didn't you? Well,
3: yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's how it is. You you get so exposed to these sorts of things on TV that violence doesn't phase you, but talking about sitting in a, yeah, no.
1: It's very different to sort of almost a, uh, comical interpretation in film. Agreed. go straight on to the one about reviving, because I don't think that's something you don't usually see in films, is it? There's no way back for a zombie. Is there a way back in a medieval text, like reviving people?
2: So there is a way back um, originally. So when the person dies, there is a way back for them to become a walking corpse. And interestingly, they first... um, the first walking dead stories uh, in medieval England, which um, uh, can be identified at the moment as the earliest, uh, come from the hagiographist uh, hege- story, so from the lives of saints. And these are saints who um, bring the undead people, the dead people, back in the shape of zombies. And this is actually quite, when I just Came across this for the first time. I found it really unusual because um, it's something not the saints, uh, something not associated with the saints immediately. So you wouldn't think of saints doing such a grisly job as turning people into zombies. But that's what saints did in medieval English hagiographies to punish these individuals. And I do believe that it is. Um, based on the Roman idea of a sorcerer turning the um, dead individuals into walking corpses. Because the principle is roughly the same. So a Roman sorcerer would appeal to Roman gods. So usually they, these were the gods of the underworld. And medieval saints appeal to christian God. so in birth in both cases we have this like revival of the dead individual with the help of the deity which is worshipped by a given society and these individuals sometimes they are revived uh, as just they are dead sometimes they are given extra powers so you brought up this like World War Z zombies, which were really intimidating because they also could run at you. And some of medieval zombies were also possessing some extra powers. So one of them could turn invisible. So you never knew if it is around. Um, uh, A couple of zombies from another source, uh, they appeared sometimes in human shapes. So they're like undead shapes. But they also could assume the shapes of dogs and bears. And there is a Scottish zombie uh, which could um, kind of um, which possessed this body which was able to uh, destroy any objects which were thrust into it. So if you try to damage it with a sword, for example, or with a pitchfork, it would just burn this object by its body. Um, Yeah, so Saints uh, were one, like, Saints are uh, one agent which parents people into walking dead. Another agent is the devil, of, as we have mentioned already.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right?
1: it's interesting don't you think Alina it's interesting that this kind of stuff doesn't get picked up in plots for the stuff we watch now
3: no it doesn't but you've mentioned something that the invisible zombie i mean oh my god what a whole other level why have t why has TV not picked this up as a, a, an invisible zombie that would be the coolest
2: plot line i was just thinking like it's probably hard to make a film about anything invisible because you don't know what it's doing so with the zombies, you can kind of, um, with the visible zombies, you can keep the audience, like, on the edge by them, like, running at you, but when it is invisible, it's just... Yeah, there's no a chase dream. scene,
1: is there? There's just someone sitting there, I don't know, eating a potato or whatever, and then suddenly they're dead. There's no, <laughs> there's no fun chase scene or anything because they don't see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, so, do you know what it sounds like more suitable for one of those hideous, over-the-top Japanese horror films?
2: Oh, I love those. I love Japanese horror. Not all of them, but some of them are so good.
3: Oh my God, we are on the same wavelength. I'm I'm a (laughs) massive
1: horror film fan. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to talk about brains, don't we? It's all about eating the brains in modern crap. Do you see
2: that in the medieval period? Uh, No, and... Uh, they So, in medieval English context, they are not interested in eating anything. Mm. So, there is one uh, source which kind of hints at the possibility that walking dead would be drinking blood, and this is William of Newfra. So, he calls one of his walking dead Sanquisuga, which in Latin means leech. And he said that this restless corpse was filled with blood of many other people but otherwise they they basically walk around terrifying people spreading infection sometimes but they're not particularly interested in eating you in scandinavian sources the situation is different so there is um uh, a story when they are two really close friends and they are so close that they decide that when the first one of them dies, the other one will be buried with him. So eventually one of them dies and his friend is buried with him in his burial mound with the grave goods, which also includes a dog a horse. And on the first night this dead friend revives and eats the dog. And on the second night he revives and eats the horse And on the third night, he revives and tries to eat his living friend. But luckily, at this moment, uh, the living from outside break into the uh, burial mound because they hope that there is some treasure buried. So they basically just want to loot it. And instead of treasure, they find this living person covered in blood because this undead friend tried to chew off his face and then the living person tells the story. So this is what's happening in Scandinavia in England. Um, They are quite indifferent to brains but at the same time we have the the same idea that if you chop off the head of the zombie it will die. So this uh, idea in the films when they say shoot in in the heads, go for the heads, it comes from the medieval context it comes from the medieval sources so they already had this um, idea of the head being like the most important and it's kind of not really um, logical because you think like if it is the dead body which walks around why would it not walk around without the head because it's already contradicting the laws of nature and I think the logic behind it was that um in medieval sources heads sometimes have their own agency so the head would talk by itself in a few so in a few stories forget this head separated from the body and being able still to talk and to sing and the head was supposed to grow back sometimes if you place it next to the uh, neck so in life of in life and miracles of saint edmund say Edmund was Decapitated, but then when his body was found, his head miraculously grew back. So that's why in medieval zombie stories we have the living chopping off the heads and placing them between the legs of the body so as the body cannot find the head and then reattach it. It's quite a genius plan.
3: I'm a little bit dumbfounded.
1: Like, I knew this would happen. I knew we'd do this podcast and by the end of it, you'd be like proper terrified of a zombie apocalypse.
3: Well, no, me- rephrase this. Medieval, Medieval
1: zombie apocalypse.
3: Not one of those that's out there now, but reattaching heads. Oh my God. How are you going to kill these people?
1: Well, they are already dead, which is weird because they're not, it's creepy. But we all need a hero, you've written in the notes, Selina. we do. Is there a hero that takes on zombies in medieval literature?
2: There are lots of heroes, and uh, they're quite badass. So I really like the heroes in medieval literature. So mm. they, uh, the first hero is St. Hugh of Lincoln, who you all know, and everyone knows him for his many other achievements, such as Kissing Richard the First, for example, but... Less known is the fact that Saint Hugh has contributed to putting to rest one of the zombies. So he wrote the letter of absolution, which basically forgives all the individual's sins, and this letter was placed in the grave of a restless corpse. And after that, he stopped walking around. And um one thing I forgot to mention actually which is important so in um, zombie films today we have the zombies just continuously walking around so they are they are dead they do not need rest they never sleep they're always there to hunt you in the medieval zombie apocalypse it was actually slightly better because all walking dead needed to rest in the graves for While So, while they're chilling in the graves, you can open the grave and destroy the body. Um, In one of the stories, there is a monk, and this is particularly interesting, because I think that uh, the members of clergy were not allowed to carry weapons, but that monk had a battle axe, so he was waiting by the grave of a restless corpse with a battle axe for it to come out. And when it came out and rushed on him, he's like, he managed to strike him a few times with his axe and chase him back into the grave. So these are the examples of actually clergy being, um, the clergy contributing to pacifying restless corpses and putting them to rest and getting rid of them. Uh, There are other examples and often, interestingly by the same author, when the clergy is completely useless. So there is a story when the the clergy tries to hold the council, like what shall we do with the zombie? And this council turns into a feast, and while they're feasting, the local villagers take the mat in their hands, and they destroy this walking corpse by fire. And again, interestingly, um, so we've talked about... This, um, the necessity of destroying the head. They also believe that if it is the evil spirit inside this body, it occupies the heart, so you needed to carve the heart out and burn it. And when you do it, the evil spirit finally leaves and kind of goes to the another kind of extraterrestrial realms. And in one of the um, stories, it's uh, Life of St. Modwana by Geoffrey Burton, Uh, he actually describes this heart being burned and then when it finally burns up, it cracks open and the evil spirit flies away in the form in the shape of a raven.
3: We've touched on this already, but can you give us now, in this very moment, brief lowdown of how to kill a zombie 101 medieval style?
2: Um, Go for the head, remove it somewhere like so as the zombie cannot find the head. Um, Also you can burn it ideally. So burning in medieval context, so in modern context when we talk about burning Uh, We just think rationally, like obviously when you reduce this to ashes, it cannot work anymore. In the medieval context, in England specifically, they had this um, second meaning for burning, which was also, I believe, was inherited from the Roman context, because burning also meant uh, transferring whatever is inside this dead body To the other world, away from the world of the living. Uh, Because in Roman texts, uh, they burned, obviously they cremated their dead, and they also burned any objects which they wanted to send to their dead. So I'm kind of deviating a little bit from the main topic, but Mm -hmm. a really uh, striking example is uh, Lucian of Samasata's work, The Love of Lights, and he describes there how a husband was visited by the ghost of his dead wife and the ghost says like, look, you've burned only one of my sandals and I need both of them. So could you please find the other sandal and burn it as well? So I have both of them in the afterlife. And the same logic was with burning the walking dead. So once you reduce the body to ashes, the entity inside it like the soul or the devil goes to the Afterlife or away from the world of living, so it cannot bother the living anymore. Um, and alternatively, in some cases, uh, some zombies can speak, and some of them are quite nice and friendly actually. They're terrifying, but uh, they're usually terrifying people to draw attention because they, their issue is that they died without having confessed their sins, so they want to talk to someone. Uh, to call the priest to get an absolution to get their sins forgiven and then they can go to the afterlife so uh, sometimes people just have a chat with the zombie and then arrange a number of masses sent for them a number of prayers said for them and then the issue is solved
1: you must have a plan when I feel like we would with someone with your expertise here right now we would be selling our listeners short if we did not help them plan for the eventuality of a zombie apocalypse so what is your plan
2: I just like I mean all of my colleagues made this joke at some point mm. of my being a PhD like what are you going to do with the zombie apocalypse. I always thought that I would be really employable in case of the zombie apocalypse, so part of me actually looks forward to that. Um yeah, just I mean, again the researcher part of me is actually excited about the zombie apocalypse because you can actually <laughs> study the zombies without just reading the text about them or watching films about them. You can capture one and keep you in your basement. <laughs>
1: think of what you think of the research you could do if you could just get hold of one can i be your assistant yeah of course sure (laughs) so that's your plan (laughs) i think alex i think alex has got the best plan Okay, so uh, I, this is going to come up on another podcast because we talked about this the other day with someone else who has a zombie apocalypse fan in Canada. But so the, the last proper job I had in an office, there was lots of opportunities to sit around and talk absolute shit with each other. And uh, we've kind of got a little collective of people who are going to survive the zombie apocalypse. Um, we've already re- so You can already start stashing, if you're British, Uh weapons because obviously you're going to need something that's viable in a post-apocalyptic world and it's legal to own a crossbow in britain and i'm not saying that i bought one but one of our team has already purchased a crossbow (laughs) um yeah it's not illegal they're not classed as like an offensive weapon go figure Uh, a certain size of them anyway you can own um and then we were sort of sitting around we were discussing like who would be in charge of organizing stuff and we, we had someone Paul, who was very good at like boring stuff like organizing admin so he'd do that because he doesn't mind everyone hating him because he's telling them what <laughs> to do uh i'm i'm gonna be on brutal zombie killing duty with nathan and his crossbow but we had also as well so if you picture the campus man you've ever met in your life kevin i love you with all of my heart you're adorable but he said if the world exists and there is no playstation and no rupaul's drag race he doesn't want to be in it he can't be bothered. Oh he hates God. running. He's got no interest. So he is bait. He said, "Use me as bait. If ever there's a point, like you can drive me around, but if ever there's a point where you need to throw a fat person at a zombie, um, so that you can get away, just use me as bait." Because frankly, I can't be bothered with it all. So we've, yeah, we've gone that into that level of planning. So well, been- this
2: is really sophisticated. Oh, sorry,
1: <laughs> i
3: interrupted you. That's yes. <laughs> no, It's okay. Go, go for it. Go for it.
2: We have, at Lancaster we have a cannon in the department and we were told that it has been decommissioned, unfortunately, but I always thought that how how hard it is to put back together a decommissioned cannon in case
1: yeah. of a There's one outside one of the school buildings at Eton College that won't be hard to get to either. It's like a Crimean yeah. War one, but you could, you could get to it and likewise. I'm pretty sure. And then there's things like we'd already talked about making like tennis ball mortars as well.
3: Well, I won't lie.
1: We looked up the ingredients for napalm as well.
3: (laughs) My question to you is, why do you think one of the reasons is I have a motorbike?
1: (laughs) What happens when you run out of petrol?
3: Well, then you siphon <laughs> petrol out of another vehicle. Result, okay, and if either. everyone's
1: doing all this, how long do you think the petrol's going to last? This is why when we were interviewing Carolyn Willekins yesterday, she was saying that basically with all their horses, her and her friends are, are pre- ready trained for a zombie apocalypse, aren't they?
3: Yeah, but th- eventually, I mean, for a little while, you're kind of hoping a lot of people get killed off so then they won't be ciphering petrol. So at least you've got a chance on, on, on your motorbike.
1: Or I give you two weeks max before petrol just doesn't exist.
3: Well, you could always try and figure out a different way, like create a water motorbike.
1: So in a post-apocalyptic world, you're going to figure out a biofuel that no one has been able to figure out thus far in the world we live in now, that doesn't require petrol. I'm, do- I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I think well, you need hopefully... to ditch the motorbike. Paulina, you have to agree with me. She needs to ditch the bike, doesn't she?
2: I'm just thinking it's also, it's actually, in my opinion, more complicated in British context because most of the films we've seen, like except for uh, the fuel, like uh, showing of that. And the dead, and the other one is at the tip of my tongue. The, is it 28 days later? Yes, that's yep. what I have in mind. So, these are in British context, but in America, they like they just have like a more massive chunk of land, so you can potentially travel to more places by land and look for petrol there, whereas, like here on an island. I'm just thinking, like, will we have to cross the channel You're to right. when we run out of resources? You're going to have to come to
3: to mainland Europe. People come to mainland Europe.
2: Yeah, it's also it brings me to another question: whether zombies can swim. So, whether ah. like is the channel safe, or are there going to be swimming zombies attacking your boat and biting through your boat?
1: I mean, we could theoretically line up on the white cliffs of Dover and just hope they can't swim but then take pot shots at them as they come over can't we as long as it doesn't start in Britain Ah, so I think like if it starts elsewhere
2: and Britain can be saved because it's an island (laughs) I mean we'll (laughs) get to
1: the point where we don't produce enough resources to feed ourselves and shit later but um
2: (laughs) yeah that's what I was thinking I was thinking yeah so like if we have to cross to Europe and there's like zombies waiting for you in the water
1: Yeah I feel like there needs to be some kind of round table conference headed up by Polina whereby we get our shit together and and do a proper plan because I'm I'm scared now after this podcast
2: (laughs) I wouldn't mind that (laughs) you, You have your crossbow and you have a really coherent lined up plan yeah. i will
3: be there even if i have to cross mainland europe i will be there
1: just make sure there is always enough petrol in the motorbike to get you to cali
3: well this is the thing do you know what you can buy motorbikes that are specially used for um like the dakar race yeah and what they do they have like these super duper like extra long tanks what i'll do i'll buy one of those shove a load of petrol onto the back of the bike because my dad can quite easily do Poland to England on a tank
1: and a half. So ideal. Perfect. I'm in. Do you know what though? Tell me if you agree. Do you know these people that have the bunkers? I would not do that. I would go mad in a bunker underground with like tinned food. I'd rather take my chances outside.
3: Yes. Freedom. Than die in a hole.
2: The people in England have bunkers by the way because I always thought it's like more of an American thing.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think anyone has like we don't really have the survivalist nut jobs. I mean there's whole communities in America, isn't there, with like they they and they are seriously. I mean we're taking the piss to a certain extent. They're seriously ready for the end of the world.
2: I'm thinking like you know if um like I didn't have such a coherent plan as you do, but I was always thinking lots of archives are uh, situated underground so yeah. i was always thinking of hiding in the archive and you can do research and
1: the <laughs> i like it definitely but there's also as well under london there are masses of tunnels and things aren't there um which you could utilize sort of tunnel-wise. underground <laughs> yeah so the london not just the london underground but there's like the postal thing underground isn't there and there's all kinds of secret tunnels and things so yeah but you
3: don't want to get stuck in one of those
1: no definitely not
3: so it's kind of a I don't know is it a good situation is a bad you don't know I wouldn't live
1: down there I'd use them to get around.
3: Yeah, that's true. Sewers.
1: Yeah, probably <laughs> last resort. Anyway, I feel like I'm in a better position to withstand the zombie apocalypse after this podcast than I was before we started. I don't know about you.
3: Agreed. Very much. And so. I
1: I, lo- I, lo- I love that Paulina's first instinct is to catch one and research it <laughs> and to to live in an archive. Uh, that would be cool. Actually, might actually be able to get in the National Archives for once if there's a zombie apocalypse. <laughs>
2: there's
1: 92, sh- 92 miles of shelving to hide in, but I don't think it's. <laughs> Just one last question, because I know you're not, you haven't sat and watched all the way through The Walking Dead, which I think everyone would assume you had. What's your favourite zombie movie?
2: Um, I would say Resident Evil, because it was my first zombie film where I was introduced to zombies by my big brother and I watched it as a teenager. And I mean, it's all gross, it's very gross. When I rewatched it, I was completely grossed out by all this, like the amount of gore and decomposing flesh and zombies. But I really like how coherently they explain, as I have said before, how coherently they explain everything which uh, is happening there and where the zombies come from and how the zombie virus, works and why does it work this way so I mean it's kind of like really like a film on how zombies work so I really enjoyed it from that point of view.
1: You know what I'm doing this weekend binge watching zombie films. I'm gonna say World War Z just because we interviewed Max Brooks um we haven't aired that yet actually but that was He's lovely. And that was a pretty cool film. So
2: I've actually enjoyed World War Z as well. It was one of the zombie films which I called, which I, when I started paying attention again, because like, you know, when you see a few of them, they will kind of start being the same. Like, zombies live yeah. living in a hiding in some building and then they run out of food. And World was Z was kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, mm. I really enjoyed that film.
3: I do, if you just didn't have uh, what's-his-name in it, I would have enjoyed it a bit more. Brad Pitt. Yeah, really didn't like like him in that. Otherwise, the film was really well made. I just didn't like Brad Pitt in it, personally. That's my my only criticism. I don't
2: like him as a person as well. I find him quite annoying. So (laughs) I was hoping that he will get eaten. So the fact that he didn't get eaten by the zombies was the only disadvantage of that film.
1: Oh, I have the same feelings for Tom Cruise. I think Oblivion, where there were 18 of him fighting each other at one point, was my worst nightmare.
2: We're really on the same page here because my mum hates Tom Cruise and she kind of passed the hatred rate towards Tom Cruise <laughs> upon me.
1: <laughs> He's like, I find him really cringy.
2: thank
3: you so much for joining us to talk about medieval zombies. And then obviously a lovely little... um, um, Oh my God. And then obviously we digress straight into uh, talking about modern zombies, what we would do, and I'm loving the plan. So I am all in. And thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. It was fascinating.
1: Join us tomorrow for a double header. First of all we will be talking all about Caroline of Ansbach with Charlotte Ward and we did a lot of quite mean chuckling about her hilarious death uh, down the pub a little while back so we're going to go back and we're going to do her uh, due credit. And then we will have another sharp reunion for you to bring in the new year. We will have Sharps Gold. Now this one is the one that most of the actors list as the one they hate more than any of the other Sharps. That includes Sean Bean who says it's his least favourite because it was a load of nonsense so join us for that one we'll find out why the plot line took such a drastic veer away from the books and we'll find all about the shenanigans of filming and inevitably talk about the state of the former kgb crematorium in the crimea where they all stayed again so don't miss out on that and talk about her life as well so don't miss that one don't forget that we do exist on patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Elena and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life is going to change quite a lot next year, and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you, and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you, and the workload, then we will need your help. So, uh, if you join us on either of those platforms, uh, Marcus is currently working on some benefits for you. So. Uh, There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there, and we have our own channel, and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.